0: Welcome to episode two of the IFF podcast special series on coronavirus slash COVID-19. I'm Mark Treglio. I'm your assistant to the general president for communications, media, and strategic campaigns.
1: And I'm Doug Stern. I'm the director of strategic campaigns and media relations for the IFF.
0: So in our first episode, we really took a look into health and safety procedures, dispatch protocols, donning and doffing. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of the entire event, focusing on the resources. How are we getting our resources? What are your What are your responsibilities to get these resources on the state and federal level and how politics plays a role in this? There's the response game of things, and then there's the politics, the admin side of things. Are we doing enough to make sure our workers' comp is covering us? Do we know what happens during a national
1: emergency? They declared a Stafford Act.
0: So we're going to get into some of that today.
1: Really kind of delve into how, as union leaders, we can use all the resources that we've built over the years in the political arena to benefit our members who are on the front lines battling this pandemic.
0: And on that note, let's get started. Welcome to episode two of our series on the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Our first episode focused on policies for health and safety for firefighters and uh, the technical assistance we're providing and focusing on our webpage. Today, we're going to focus on state and federal resources. With us today, we have Elizabeth Del Rey, who's our assistant to the general president for grants administration and hazmat training. And also joining us is Dave Lang, our assistant to the general president for public policy and governmental affairs. So as all of the divisions are responding to COVID-19, I'll start with you, Dave. There is a political component to this. Guide us through that process. Tell us what your division's been doing, the actions we've been taking up on Capitol Hill to protect our members during this.
2: Well, first of all, we're watching legislation working its way through the United States Congress that will deal with funding for equipment, funding for vaccinations, funding for every single aspect of COVID 19. Let me start with the very first piece of legislation that was actually signed into law. It was House Resolution 6074, which was an $8.3 billion package that put money in the street. To and out to the states through the public health departments to be able to effectively respond to uh, this pandemic. The first lot was $975 million would be going into public health. Of that, 50% has already been pushed out into the streets, and local public health departments in your states should have already received that money. The next piece of it is uh, $3 billion for research, vaccine development, therapeutics, and diagnostics. Um, there has not been a vaccine developed yet, as you probably already have heard, that will deal with COVID-19. This money will be used to do that. $10 million in training grant money that the internationals should be able to access pieces of that. Uh, and then a billion dollars in medical supplies, including PPE, personal protective equipment uh, for state and local public health.
1: Dave, a lot, a lot of that when we talk these numbers and things that are set aside for public health that's not specifically for firefighters. That's for public health in general, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about how our firefighters can get their hands on that. I don't know if, Elizabeth, that's something more, you're more comfortable with.
2: Well, well, the first thing is messaging. Is You have to understand that as a firefighter paramedic involved in EMS that you are in the public health system. You happen to be pre-hospital. And because of that, you're entitled legally and legislatively to pieces of that money. So it's very important for you to begin to talk like that when you talk to uh, local elected officials, you talk to state elected officials, and you talk to federal elected officials. People need to understand that in this case, they want to call you the first responders. Well, you should be first in line, or one of the first in line, when they're passing out money for personal protective equipment, for things like response, overtime, and backfill.
1: Because in a lot of senses, for Public health and the response to this pandemic—we really are the first link in that chain to kick everything off to keep people safe. Right?
2: That's correct. And and for that, um, these specialty things that crop up, we need to make sure that we've got the funding and the backing of the federal government and the state government. So the money flows from the federal government down to the state government, and the governors really have a lot of say in what happens, and they have a lot of say through the departments of homeland security. So. As a local official, as a local union official, as a state official, you really need to enhance your communications and your relationship with not only the governors, but the governors, the people that have the governor's ear, which would be the state homeland security directors. They actually can pick up the phone and get into the governor's office anytime they need to. And they need to be told where in the pecking order firefighters need to be.
0: So I've sat on several phone calls with you throughout the last couple of weeks And it's not just getting things passed through Congress. It's about talking to the CDC. It's being on the phone with NIOSH. What are some of the things you're telling these health organizations out there in regards to the firefighters' role in the response to COVID-19?
2: First of all, there is an adverse reaction to uh, firefighters responding and being exposed and not having the proper protective equipment on, like let's take respirators. Currently right now in the national stockpile, there is not enough N95 respirators to be able to get out into the field, to be able to protect you and to protect our members on the calls that they go on. So we're telling anybody that will listen on on the political side, we're going through every single committee that we get involved in through the Democratic Party, Republican Party, any adjunct group, and basically amplifying this message that our members don't have the tools to do their job. So what ends up happening? a member doesn't have the proper protective equipment, they now end up being quarantined because they get exposed with a, probably a risk exposure and may even coming down with the virus themselves. We were on the phone the other day with federal agencies, and we basically said to them, look, today across the United States, there are hundreds of firefighters that are quarantined, and we are at 4,700 COVID-confirmed cases. We potentially will run out of firefighters long before we run out of COVID patients. And they need to get us the N95 respirators. They made sure we have to get the eye protection and we have to get the gowns. This is is job one for us.
0: Now, moving on to to your role in the COVID-19 response, Elizabeth, you have a strong background in grants and coming out of FEMA. And Dave says we have to get all this stuff. How do we go about
1: getting it?
3: So I would love to give a, a single one-answer linear chart of exactly how to do it. Here's the, the the tough part.
1: You mean government doesn't make it easy to get things like <laughs> they that? They do
3: not. They do not. It's going to be a little bit of you know hide and seek, and uh, you really have to sniff it out like a like a mouse looking for a piece of cheese in a maze. There, but it's not that you can't do it. It's just that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. So the funding that Dave just spoke about—that's great that we have funding. It's got to pass through federal agencies such as FEMA or C. CDC to eventually get to the state. Now, where it goes in the state varies. It's called the State Administrative Agency. Those are designated entities by the governor of each state. It's typically the state emergency management agency, or it's their Department of Homeland Security. That is the entity in the state by which The money will get handed to. Now, as Dave mentioned, who's got the governor's ear and who can influence how that money is going to dwindle down through the state? That's where that link comes in to the governor's Homeland Security Director. Each state is going to be a little different. They may have a formula that is driven by risk. They may have, uh, let's just make up, hey, I got 26 jurisdictions. We're going to take this money, divide by 26, and there you go. It's going to dwindle down to each jurisdiction. So, from a local level, working up. you want to get your hands on this you've got to have a conversation with your mayor your county council eventually your local emergency manager who's going to have that tie up to that money. If you wanna start at the top, then we start at that state administrative agency knocking on those doors. There are committees set up to manage all of this funding. The state has a committee to manage the money they have. Urban areas have committees called urban area working groups designed to manage this money, decide where it's gonna go, how much goes to planning, how much goes to equipment, overtime backfill. So it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's going to take a lot of knocking on doors to figure out who the right people are, but it's not insurmountable. And certainly give me a call if you've got questions. I can help you navigate a little bit.
1: Well, and I think one of the things that we maybe haven't mentioned yet, Mark, is really we've had here so far. Elizabeth, you were a firefighter EMT for years. Dave, I know you were a firefighter for like 82 years or something like that. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Some days it Um, feels like it. (laughs) But
1: So when we talk about these things, it's not just coming from an administrative level, but we have on-the-ground experience where you work with your own department as well to make these things happen. So it's not a completely crazy idea that our firefighters, our paramedics, our members out there can make it work too.
3: No, uh, absolutely. And even the time that I, I spent away from the IFF working for the Obama administration as the assistant administrator of FEMA, I brought in a lot of that street knowledge, those street skills. And even though it's been some time since I've been back to the IFF now, that mantra and those those folks that are there that I hired and promoted some of them and, and are still there, of trying to get to yes, trying to not be disturbed by, you know, the black and white, you know, hey, let's work in a gray area. There are gray areas. The, the funding that is out there now, such as the State Homeland Security Funding, They have funding in the hands of the states that's already dwindled down to the local level, and that was applied for and awarded last year. Those monies can be reprogrammed for things that they need, but you're going to have to compete with law enforcement and emergency managers to get that money. Same thing with the Urban Area Security Initiative money. That funding, they have that money in their hand from last year. It's good for three years. They can reprogram that money. Just got to find somebody willing to to be able to do that. The new money coming down for state homeland security and and UASI dollars, those applications are closing uh, next month in April. So there may be a way to sneak that in there. But again, there's a tremendous amount of money out there. It's a matter of finding the right people that's going to listen to your story, prioritize the needs of first responders, and and help you get to yes, if you know what I mean, make things happen.
1: And I think it bears repeating that your division here at the IFF can help our members and our locals do that, right?
3: Right. I don't have, unfortunately, a blank checkbook, uh, and I can't tell you exactly who to go to, but I can certainly help you navigate the field because each state and territory is very different.
0: Thanks, Elizabeth. Moving back to Dave, tell us about the Stafford Act.
2: On uh, March 13th, the President of the United States declared a national emergency. Now, he did so because he, uh, it opens up in the tenants of the Stafford Act. And the Stafford Act actually allows a freeing up of almost 50 billion, five zero billion dollars, that now goes and gets pushed down into all kinds of different places. And one of the places it goes through is Homeland Security into FEMA. If you go on in 2018, FEMA actually put together a preparedness and, and planning document that you, sh- you can find really easy online that breaks down how fire departments can access and contract with the state for money. Now, any type of COVID response, that there's overtime and backfill, there is equipment charges, that all can get charged back and billed back to the federal government at 75% of the cost. So the community was only responsible for 25% of the cost. That is going to go a long way in helping manage. I mean, if you think of it like this, Anytime that there's a wildfire, a hurricane, a natural disaster, they declare it a natural disaster site, the federal government approves it, that opens up money out of this pot in order to go into those areas. So you have experience at this. Even though this is new, COVID-19 is now a nationwide 50-state emergency, you do have experience regionally. Any major snowstorm in the Northeast, any hurricane down in, in the Florida regions or in the in the, uh, in the Southeast areas. Um, you have complete experience, your fire departments do. You should immediately start tracking, encourage your departments to track all the expenses associated with COVID-19 and make sure that that gets billed to the federal government.
3: And I'll just tag on a little bit to that because that's an important pot of money from the Stafford Act. Because if we're looking to reimburse overtime and backfill traditionally under the state homeland security grants and UASI grants, overtime and backfill is tied to training. It's tied to exercises. It may be charged to some sort of large event because you're having some sort of presidential debate or something in your backyard. And then FEMA's got to pre-approve that. Once this Stafford Act opened up, that opened up, as Dave said, a very large pot of money that traditionally is used at 75% to cover the overtime and the backfill that you're using. So if you're talking to someone in your jurisdiction, They're like, oh, no, that's not what the state Homeland Security Grants programs are for. No, that's not what you ask for. Ask about the Stafford Act. That's a whole nother pot of money with a a whole different set of rules.
2: But that's not the end. There's more legislation working its way through. I mean, Congress and the president are really paying attention to the financial needs of uh, the states and the local communities that are being forced into responding, especially the hospitals. The next piece of legislation that was introduced and passed by the House, and it now sits in the Senate, we should have um, some sort of finality towards the end of this week, and it hopefully be signed by the president before Friday. And that is the Families First Coronavirus Virus Response Act. So the first one was to develop monies to help communities respond. Now the next one is to get families to be able to respond. Unfortunately, there is exemptions in health care and public safety by the very nature of the job. So some of this stuff that you're going to see that gets passed, you may or may not be able to take advantage of, like the two weeks of sick leave, like the emergency leave. Um, those are going to be things that are going to be able to go out for the normal population, the regular population, and that you may or may not, depending on your states and depending on the employers, whether they want to claim that exemption or not. The last piece of legislation that's coming up that we're just starting to hear about today, it deals with backing up the economy. The president is talking about a trillion dollars in which a $1,000 will be sent to people, whether it's on a monthly basis or a one-time check to get them cash on the street. There's money to shore up the airline industry. There'll be money to shore up other parts of the economy. It's very important for local leadership, for membership, for state leadership to be basically communicating to your local, state, and federally elected officials that municipalities need to be in that consideration, that the financial burden that's going to be placed on communities right now is going to be very large, and they need to be considered in this package as well. And then I I want to turn it back over to Elizabeth to kind of talk about some of the other considerations she may have.
1: Before you do that, Dave, I think there's an important point to be made in all of that. You said these bills have gone through Congress, are going through Congress, but they're not just going through. Your shop, every step of the way, is working with legislators to make sure that our needs are met as best we can, right?
2: Yeah, that's the, the interesting thing about the dynamic between politics and legislative is the relationship that exists right at the intersection. Politics in the IFF builds the relationships through campaigns, through elections. The legislative side is really where the the work is done, based on the relationships that are made on the campaign or electoral side. So every time a firefighter goes out and holds out the the golden black brand that firefighters for, you're actually building and ensuring that relationship. At times like this, so that we have a friendly ear as an elected official, to help us legislatively to be able to put this done. So that's what our shop's doing right now.
0: Okay, switching gears real quick. In several press conferences and in the news, you're starting to hear about the strategic national stockpile as well as state stockpiles. Let's just describe what that is. It's not like Burger King where you just come through and pick up six boxes of gloves and 95 masks and go back to the firehouse. No, no, not at all. So it's not just some big building where you just drive up and you get what you want and leave. So how, do, how does that work?
3: So from my experience at Maryland Emergency Management Agency, which, which was brief, but each state has a plan by which those resources are going to be distributed. They have a plan on who gets it first, who gets it second, and where it goes. And then that's usually moved by the National Guard of, of that particular state. So one of the things that we've discussed here is uh, for our affiliates, when you are meeting with your local leaders, your state leaders, your governors, is to make sure that, you know, firefighters and and our EMTs and paramedics out there aren't just considered to be high priority. We need to be high priority. We need to be up on that list. Not every state has released that list. We've done some digging to see what we can find. But they have a plan. This is what those state public health and industrial hygienists, this is what they live for, these big pandemics. So it's very exciting for them. But it's also very frustrating when you don't know exactly what the plan is and it's probably been on their shelf for five to ten years. And now they're dusting it off, trying to figure out if it's still applicable to, to today's issue.
2: In the strategic national stockpile or the state stockpiles, those are caches of equipment, mobile hospitals, drugs, bandages, anything that could be needed in any type of a, an epidemic or a pandemic or a disaster. There's been a lot of planning over this uh, over time. This is created and enhanced after September 11, 2001. But the problem we have is some states have not kept up their state stockpiles. Mm -hmm. The only way to find that out is to talk to Homeland Security, talk to the governor's office, and find out what the stockpile looks like. We have found some states that the stockpiles are no longer existing at the state level. Now, on the federal level, there are buildings secretly located throughout the country, in which they have these go-packs that within 12 hours they will deliver your share of the stockpile to your community. The problem is is that some of the stuff has had expiration dates on it. Uh, we had one state in which had hundreds of thousands of N95 respirators in which they were beyond the manufacturer's warranty date. So those had to be recertified and we had to get a waiver so that those could be put into service. Now, as the supply chain is coming out, we're finding and we're hearing more and more and more that there is not enough equipment, especially in the PPE area, for our members. And one of the things that we, working together with the health and safety shop and the technical assistance, we were on with a call yesterday with federal agencies pushing the fact that our members need N95 respirators and that surgical masks in an uncontrolled environment, are not really the way to go. As a, an aside, the, the Health and Human Services has just closed on the 18th of March a bidding process to guarantee purchase 500 million N95 respirators. That's a very large number. We've got to make sure that we're in the pipeline when those start to get um, distributed, and when those start to make it to the states, that they all just don't go to hospitals and public health, but they come into the firehouses in which our members are working.
0: $500 million is a big number. Can they even manufacture that many? Well,
2: they're going to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we've guaranteed purchase. The, the bid is guaranteed purchase. So,
1: Any idea on the time frame that you're looking at for that We asked,
2: many? We asked that yesterday on this conference call with the state agencies, and they, they don't know. The, the bids just closed last night, so I'm assuming that they're going to start making them anytime. But
1: I'd imagine it's a tough number to get your hands around to really give a production schedule mm-hmm. on 500 million of anything.
0: What are some things you would recommend to our members right off the bat? Some things they can do right now to position themselves to to get some of the resources that'll be coming out.
3: Uh, my two cents would be like, don't don't wait, don't wait. No one's going to come knocking on your door out of the goodness of their heart to bring you the equipment that you need. And if they do, it's going to be six months after the fact. You Got to be aggressive, knock on the doors. Certainly give me a call when it comes to tracking the funding down. I'll help you make a navigation plan, but just keep knocking on the doors.
0: And that was my next question. How do they contact you?
3: A simple email at grants or firegrants at IFF.org. You could email me at edelre, E-D-E-L-R-E at I-A-F-F.org. Or just call the main number and ask for Elizabeth. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one named Elizabeth here.
2: <laughs> and Dave? Yeah, well, this fight is not over. It's still beginning as the epidemic is continuing to grow and to begin. And the fight for uh, personal protective equipment is on. We are pushing legislatively to make PPE for firefighters and paramedics, a priority, that we get it when everybody else is getting it at the head of the line. We're also pushing for overtime and backfill, creative ways through SAFER Act and FIRE Act in which to get money into the communities. We're working with our friends in the House and the Senate to try to pass that. We're also prioritizing testing for fire and EMS. Our members should not have to wait online. that if our members get exposed, they should be priority for picking up testing. And eventually there'll be a vaccine developed. And there needs to be prioritization given for vaccine for firefighters and EMS for paramedics. We're making sure that you've got the tools to do your job. And we're notifying the House and the Senate that you get prioritization for the drugs that you need and for the equipment that you need that you're riding on the rigs with every single day. You need to think about when you get exposed. This is not a federal issue, but it's a state issue under workers' comp. If you get exposed, you need to make sure that you record that exposure. Now, there's several ways in which to do that. You can go to the N4's website and download the exposure app, which is a career uh, diary, and you can put the date and time on the on the exposure app and you uh, of the exposure. Fire department log, putting in a workers' comp form. We need to move this off of health insurance and onto the workers' comp side of the equation. If you get exposed in the course of your employment. And then lastly, to use the IFF as a resource. There's a lot of misinformation on Facebook, and I know that the two gentlemen that we're sitting with here today well, Facebook's can tell, wrong on something? i find that hard to believe. <laughs> they can tell you, but uh, we follow the CDC and we follow the World Health Organization as kind of our experts as we get information from. So be safe out there, and thanks.
0: All right, and how do members contact you if they have any policy concerns?
2: They can call the government affairs shop, at the IFF and ask for the legislative or political department, depending on which way, if you want to talk about the relationship side you want to talk about the legislative side. I mean, you can ask for myself, Dave Lang, or Shannon Meisner, who's our director of legislative and government affairs, or Andy Levine, who is our political director. Thank you very much.
0: Once again, I want to take this opportunity to thank Dave Lang and Elizabeth Del Rey for joining us today, providing their insight on important issues surrounding the COVID-19 virus.
1: And just like always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so that you can get all of our episodes, like it, share it, make sure everybody knows that it's out there because it is a valuable resource. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Thank you for listening and stay safe.